Hello, welcome to our podcast. This is the start of a hopefully a big series of podcasts, and uh, we're going to kind of ramble on about product stuff, really. Um, but before we do that, I guess let's have a talk about who we are and, and what we do a little bit. Um, so my name's my name's Graham, and I am I am the designer. I'm the token designer for this podcast, and I'm going to hand you over to the other guys now. Do you want to say hello? Okay. Uh, hi. Um, my name's Sam. I am notionally here representing the development aspect of software development. Um, yeah, that's it. Uh, I, I, I write code. I run a team of people who write code, and I'm here to contribute from that angle. Keith? And I'm Keith, and I'm the product guy. So I, uh, whatever you want to call me, product owner, product manager, uh, Product the product person. guy sounds product like guy. a brand. Product guy, oh, yeah, I should register that, shouldn't I? <laughs> That's me. So I'm here to talk from the from the from the product's point of view. Awesome. So that's that's us. Um, well, for, I mean, one of the things we we kind of haven't really resolved is the name for the podcast. Um, and notionally, we came up with the sense of calling it the Three Shaved Heads. The the problem raised by Sam was that. Uh, Unfortunately, he doesn't have a shaved head, but it seems like you've you've resolved that now. Is that right? Yes, I'm fully committed to this cause. Um, <laughs> or I might have just got fed up of the lockdown and uh, and shaved it all off. Um, so Keith, no, we... I, I, Keith, I know you shaved your beard as well, just in line with uh, the, the wow. shaved aspect well, of this podcast. I did. I had a good beard going on, but I got bored, and I think the beard got bored as well because it appeared to stop growing, and it got quite itchy. And I had shaved my head due to lockdown conditions, but then um, I finally managed to find some form of employment and figured I should probably have some half-decent photos and not look like a complete nutter. So I've lost the beard, and the hair is slightly longer now, but it'll probably stay shaved for the time it takes until I can actually get to a barber. I quite like the beard. I was quite sorry to see it go, to be honest. It was good, but it's a bit multicoloured, a bit too much gender, oh, was it? a bit too much grey and a bit too much brown in it. So, yeah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So th- there we go. We haven't really resolved the name, but we- we'll stick with the three shave heads for now uh, and maybe we'll change that. If you've got some ideas on what you think you should call this podcast, and, and do let us know. Um. So I've got a few questions, guys. I'm going to put them out there and see how you respond to them. So uh, let's see uh, how you feel about some of these questions. So firstly, who's going to be the first to swear? Sam. I would agree with that. I don't think so. No, well, let's see, shall we? Let's see. Are you, are we see you're being quite uh, formal now, are you? I have a radio voice. Very, very good. Where did you put it? <laughs> Very good, very good. <laughs> okay, and who's the first that's going to use Office Speak? You know, things like touch base and loop in, all that kind of stuff. I think you just did. Oh, well, actually, I've got a funny anecdote on that. This Go may on. result in me swearing for the first time as well, actually. Uh, it, oh. the, the lockdown is causing strange things to happen. Um, I was, for, we're all working at home at the moment, and uh, it was it was lunch once, and I had a, uh, this 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 week I had a meeting at one p.m. and I was downstairs with my wife uh, and she said, "Oh, well, you know, what time do you want to eat?" And I said, "Oh, I've got a hard stop at one." And she went, "You what?" 
<laughs> and I realised I'd, I'd crossed the boundary of, of work speak to home speak. Um, and she, she works in a hospital, so she'd never heard this phrase before. And then I had to explain. Uh, Interesting. Explain they, don't use, they don't use that kind of language in hospitals, I guess. They're probably no, I think probably a hard stop refers to something very different in a hospital. I, yes, I guess there is that kind of morbid uh, thought there. Um, okay, cool. Um, <laughs> who, uh, who do we think is going to be the first to accidentally expose some personal data? Well, I think that was me, wasn't it? Just then that I'm married. Oh, yeah. oh yes, that's true. That's true. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm firing on all cylinders tonight. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, who's going to be the first to crack open a beer? I think actually we've all agreed to crack open our beers. So I'm already doing great. it. I'm about a uh, quarter of the way through mine already. Uh, likewise, yeah. And uh, your tipple of choice today, guys? I've gone for a Battledown Brewery original, which is brewed in Cheltenham Spa in the Cotswolds, and is chestnut brown, malty, nutty, a bit treacly, and very full-bodied, and it's very tasty indeed. Sounds great. Um, very good tasting notes there, I have to say. And uh, and Sam, well, look, I didn't I didn't know our beer would be such a topic of choice, so. Had I done so, I'd have picked one of the far more interesting beers I have in my fridge. Uh, but as it is, I am drinking a Brewdog Punk IPA. Other beers are available. Well, it could have been worse. You could have had a Shandy or, you know, uh, maybe, uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, there are worse drinks. I mean, Brewdog's not bad, is it? Really? Or is it's, it? No, it's a good beer. I got a yeah. box of about 24 for £6 because the corner of the box was damaged in Sainsbury's. So there you go. I'm a cheapskate as well. Well, I, I would have gone for that deal as well. Very good. And um, Okay, who's first? Who's going to be first to have their Wi-Fi go down? It's going to happen. Well, I'll let you into a speaker. I'm not even on Wi-Fi. No, I'm, me neither. I'm, I'm hardwired into my fibre to the property connection, so it ain't going to be me. Same. Oh wow! Well, you, I guess I, I guess your um, connection could still go down there, Maybe. which seems to be happening to me quite a lot at the moment. I guess oh. it's going to be you then. I think it probably would be. It probably would be. I mean, I have. I think I have a problem with my mesh router that it goes down regularly, at least once every day, uh, which is rather disappointing. And I can see it because all my my security cameras. I have quite a fair few of them. Uh, they seem to keep alerting me to the fact that they are no longer recording. So that <laughs> continues uh, at certain points in the day. Um, and finally, just the last kind of question to say: Who's going to say the first thing that's libelous? I don't. I don't. I don't think any of us are. I think. I think we're going to. There'll be no editing required here from your part, Graham. So. I'm glad to hear. It. I can't. I don't think I can afford a, a lawyer to review our content. So. Although, do you know what I did here? No, I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I'm sure uh, if you know if it did come to it, we could edit it out. I quite like this. Can we just spend the whole podcast talking about beer and answering random questions? I think I think beer will take uh, centre stage in many of our podcasts. I'm sure. So I think we've got the kind of pleasantries underway. Let's just kind of talk about a few things that are quite topical at the moment. The main thing that I think we have been talking about. Uh, outside of the podcast, is the NHS app. Um, and I guess before we go into 
working over the morsels of the news clippings, um, what do we collectively know about the NHS app? What is, what's it trying to achieve? Um, we should probably make clear for when this is in the historic archives that we're talking about the coronavirus contact tracing app, not just the we are indeed. Uh, NHS app. Because obviously people will be downloading this podcast for years to come as a uh, historical data source, I'm sure. Well, I, do you know what? I didn't realise there was another another NHS app, but I did download that a couple of weeks ago. By uh, the, the other one's actually really good. We should talk about that in a different podcast. Um, but let's keep topical. Uh, yeah, so the, mm. the contact tracing app. Which is, what is, the, what is the official name? Is it the COVID-19 app? Is it, is it, or is it? COVID-19, and that makes it, it. it it's strange. You, you can't, I, I couldn't find it in the App Store on my phone, but you can get to it from the uh, App Store website quite easily. Oh, mm. that's interesting. I wonder yeah. if they've done something with, uh, with Apple and Google to hide it while it's in the trial phase. Well, this is it. It looks like they, they may have done, but to be honest, if you if you search for it in Google and you find the the NHSX website, that there's great big links to it on their homepage. So it's it's although very hard to find in in the app stores themselves, you can very easily find it in a browser. Okay. So you can download it right now. Is that is that you can. even if you're not in the Isle, Isle of Wight? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. So, okay. So what we know about it is it's, it was launched, what was it? A couple of weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago in the Isle of Wight as a little limited trial uh, to see whether it was successful. Um, And I guess the idea is that it's going to allow you to find out whether you came into contact with people who uh, had COVID-19 and therefore alerts the people around that people throughout the day. So this, this is my first point of contention, um, being, being the product guy. Um, I've been looking outwards to human needs for this app as my starting point. Um, and what struck me straight away on the App Store um, is and highlighted to me what I think is possibly not necessarily an issue right now, but something that the government and the NHS will need to be careful of as they go forward. There are some screenshots of the iOS version of the app, and they have one of the screenshots showing as a page called how this app works. And I'm on the page now. I'm going to read out to you the first sentence. It says, this app will use your phone's Bluetooth to detect if you are near someone with coronavirus symptoms. So that's just not going to happen. That's that's not what it does. Um, If you look at the... Google Play Store, it's the same screenshot, exactly the same sentence, exactly the same screenshot, Mm. says this app gives you advice if you have been near someone who later develops coronavirus symptoms. So this is my my main concern with this is I, I fully imagine that most of the general public probably not really that familiar with technology, what can and can't be done. And their main human need right now, if you, and I'm, I fall into this, when I go out, I'm thinking, well, I need to make sure I don't come into contact with the virus. So I'm concerned that unless the messaging is really clear, people are going to think, right, if I have this on my phone and someone near me has got the virus, it's going to tell me. Mm. And actually, when you look at that screenshot on the iOS store, on the app store, it, it, it kind of reads like that is what it would do. And that's just not what, how it works. 
and that, that, that worries me straight away. And how, how, how are they, how do we, do we know how it works? How, how, do, how does it work in so practice? I've, I've read up, what I, my understanding is that um, part of the app is, is um, sort of self-diagnosis of symptoms. And if the, you answer the right questions in the right way, then it will probably suggest that you go and get a test. Um, and I think that that's at the point where it then starts to look for your recent um, connections with other people and sends an alert out. So I don't think it relates to waiting for a test to actually happen. It's relying on self-diagnosis of certain symptoms. Got it. Well, I think that's that's to be defined, isn't it? I think they've um, they said it works one way currently in the Isle of Wight trial, uh, and it, it might work a different way. Uh, when it rolls out, I've actually just downloaded the app um, and I've broken it already. Um, <laughs> well, uh, how did you break it? Well, when you download it, it says um, it, it asks you to put in the first part of your postcode, um, and then it it has a kind of placeholder text that gives the first part of a postcode, which I assume has been tailored towards the Isle of Wight because I don't know what postcodes on the Isle of Wight, but I've put it in, and it's it's actually let me go through. Um, but now I can't go back and change the postcode. So I'm I'm registered as a resident of the Isle of Wight. And uh, presumably, I'll never now be able to use the app uh, in my current postcode. Interesting. So that's, well, uh, that's would fun. You go, could you remove it and then start again? Yes, yeah, so I'll, I'll try that. I'll try that. Um, yeah. But sorry, I was going to answer the, the question there um, of how does it actually work. So... <sighs> There's a big controversy around the app at the moment in that uh, the NHS, um, or the NHS X, I think, as it as it is, their software division, um, has chosen to build a centralised tracking app rather than the decentralised approach. Uh, now, that's causing concern uh, really for two main reasons, as far as I can tell. One, uh, the ethics of having a central database of knowing, uh, you know, who has come into contact with who. Now, there's no personal identifiable information here, just just IDs that are generated by the app. Um, but the data is quite powerful, actually, of knowing how many people talk to which people. And having that stored on a central database is causing some concern within the industry. Let's Let's put it that way. And I think it'd be interesting to come back and touch on the ethics of that later. Um, but the, the the second point um, is they've they've chosen to not use the APIs which are jointly being developed by Apple and Google to allow the app to actually function properly and run in the background. Um, and the reason being because Apple and Google have designed a decentralized approach um, to, to protect the privacy of their customers. So there's there's the sort of two main points of contention with the app really. Um. Mm. And um, so, if um, I, I guess the the kind of the bounce back from uh, the government and uh, some of the NHS um, software pro- providers who are, who are working on this, they would say there is no personal data apart from the first part of your postcode. But I guess the danger is more around the the use of big data. Is that is that kind of your understanding, Sam? I think as it stands now, I mean, 
let's 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 focus on some good points as well. They've made the app open source. They've released the source code um, onto GitHub. Um, mm-hmm. I've downloaded it and had a look, and it's it's all there. Which means, from an app point of view, it's completely transparent how they're using data and and what they're sending. And as it stands, there's no personal information that gets transmitted. But what's more worrying, um, I think I shared this article with you guys earlier in the week. There's a, an article on uh, Wired UK, um, which does a really good job of uh, outlining some of the potential future phases of the app. Now, someone has leaked or purposely left an unsecured uh, document on Google Drive and that contains some some worrying uh, potential future phases for the app whereby they might ask for personal information. They might ask you to start uh, entering more public health information into the app. Um, and just the existence of a document like that, um, I think, makes people rightly worried about what could what what this app could turn into in the future. Yeah, no, I think you're right. And um and I and I think um, I, I guess one of one of my my first thoughts on this is are we are we being too harsh on the government are we being too difficult with them um, or are, or would we give this same level of scrutiny to another type of app which was maybe in the in the private sector or is this warranted because of the sheer scale of the data it's collecting um, what's your thoughts on that I think I think it's um... I, I don't want to be too harsh on the government because I think it's it's been proven in several situations that contact tracing is a good way to slow down the spread of infectious disease. Um, but at the same time, when, when you hear uh, hear things and look into the detail of what what's going on in, on, the, on the, the level of data, like like Sam was saying, you begin to think, well, are they genuinely just trying to do contact tracing? That's the issue they're tackling. That's the issue they're solving, and then it's it's done. It's finished. Or, or is there is there a future agenda? Is there something? Is there some value they're trying to build into it, which they they should probably not be really worrying about at the moment. And I guess at the, at the moment, um, clearly we are, we won't mention the B word, but clearly there there has been a, a big political. Uh, events over a number of years, and people are feeling either more positive about the government or uh, the opposite. Um, so there will be people who perhaps won't have as much faith in the in the in the government at this stage. So, so I guess this is always going to trigger some curiosity, some level of uh, sense of uh, well, or a need for open, openness. I think I think the thing that people are rightly taking concern with is that they're comparing the approach of our government and and this NHS app with that of governments around the world. Now, we are largely, uh, I think I'm right in saying this now, we are largely the only government who has decided to pursue our own method of centralised tracking rather than adopting the Apple and the Google API, which is decentralised and and privacy-centric. I believe believe France is still using a centralised system. Um, but I know Germany did start it, but then reversed. And then switched. And I, and I think Australia did. I think I'm right in saying Australia did the same thing. Mm. Um, I think they came up against technical problems. It does sound, though, from the articles I've read, uh, that the UK has somehow managed to mitigate some of those significant technical issues. 
Um, but whether or not, you know, Apple or Google could turn off the tap at some point and say, no, well, you can't do that, that could be a problem they have to face later. So just just to, I think it's important to dwell on one point here. The One of the significant technical issues is on iOS and is the fact that on iOS, apps cannot run in the background. Um, they have to request permission to do so, and they have to be a very specific use case. Um, and this app doesn't fit in one of them. Um, actually, uh, Apple prohibits um, the running of apps in the background in order to track location. Mm. So I, I know there's, you know, there's all sorts of very valid reasons that this needs to be done. Um, but one of the main problems is because the app can't always be running in the background, um, the the engineers have developed quite a clever workaround, actually, in that uh, you can register to listen for system events. And the system event can be that, that it's detected a new Bluetooth beacon. Um, if you remember, I don't know, maybe five years ago, we all thought the future was Bluetooth beacons. They'd be placed in various uh, positions around mm-hmm. shops and our phones would pop up adverts to us. And, and that never really materialized. But the concept is still exists. The technology still exists. And the the other thing the app does is cause your phone to be transmitting a Bluetooth beacon, if you like. This is the unique identifier that they generate. So where am I going with this? The app on iOS will wake up when it detects another Bluetooth beacon running nearby. But in order to do that, it needs Android devices nearby who can always be broadcasting that beacon because iOS devices will go to sleep after somewhere between 30 seconds to four or five minutes and we'll stop broadcasting that beacon and we'll only start again if the app comes into contact with an android phone who is broadcasting that beacon which causes the ios app to wake up Um, and that's a key difference now that would not be the case if they chose to use the apis developed by apple themselves because obviously apple makes the operating system they have special permissions they can run in the background as much as they like um, so yes, they've managed to, to work around it, but it will only work if enough people with an Android device are nearby. Uh, and, and this kind of raises, I think something like this, you need to have a hundred percent certainty that it's going to work. Um, if, if six people you come into contact with have iPhones and thus, all the apps have gone to sleep and don't wake each other up. Unless you come in contact with someone who has an Android phone in between that, it's unlikely that those IDs are going to be locked. And then the notification system, which warns you, just isn't going to work. So it's it's still a pretty major failing. Um, mm. So it's, I guess in in sense of a, a duty of care uh, kind of feeling, they're actually underserving iOS users. You could say that. Yeah, you could say that. Um, but now, look, there, there has been articles um, rumoring uh, that the government has employed a Swiss engineering firm to run a, a two-week spike, um, which we know is a, is a kind of sprint's worth of technical investigation into whether the app could use those APIs developed by Apple and Google. Uh, personally, I, I really hope that, that, that that's the way we go and that's the way the app eventually works. Um, but for now, certainly on the Isle of Wight, that isn't how it works. Mm. 
I mean, I, I, and I know, um, am I right in thinking, Sam, there was an update recently for at least for Apple phones that I'm aware of, and that was related to the COVID-19 service. Is that right? It was a, like a background service they released? Not quite yet. Um, so there's a, there's an update to iOS, which is in beta at the moment. Um, and I think they've released uh, three versions of that beta. So um, people who are on that sort of test group have got it early. Um, I don't think it's hit. Uh, the main release cycle yet but yes when it does that release is the one that is going to include this background api um but from what we know the nhs app will, won't need that service is that is that true? yeah because they've decided as it stands they've decided to to build their own mm. um but it relies on this network of beacons mostly on the android side and and that is the the kind of the, the the problem if you like the breaking point of this service yeah so so as a, as a as a as a product owner um question to to sam about just digging into the technology a bit more so he talks about the beacons and how ios and android differ slightly but what about um the, the other side of that the more sort of human physical side of it where you know i think about um, when i turn on my bluetooth speaker downstairs and try and connect it to spotify on my phone it always takes two to three seconds to find each other and then it's connected and off we go out in the real world if i'm let's say out for a run um and i pass a couple of cyclists going in the other direction and we've all seen those um there's animations, I think, that come from Germany, which show how much further around your immediate area the virus can spread if you're if you're more active. Is, you know, will there be enough time for for the devices to be within the right range that quickly? If you think about me running at seven or eight miles an hour one direction and a few cyclists wow. going past the twenty in the other, with all that, you know, tracking ourselves on Strava and all this kind of stuff, is is the time is there enough time for all of that to happen so i uh, it's a difficult one to answer um a while back i did do uh, some prototype work with the with the company around uh, bluetooth location beacons and real-time advertising and actually one of the reasons that project got canned was it was just too unreliable sometimes mm. it would work sometimes it wouldn't work now you know that's that's probably still the case now and i think this is where i would like to see um, people questioning the government or the nhs around is this app designed to detect when you walk past someone on the street or is it designed to detect when you've spent a significant amount of time with someone i.e you've sat on a train next to someone i'm i'd be much more confident in the app working in those cases than walking past someone on the street and a cyclist coming past you in the opposite direction, I think it's very unlikely to pick up um, that that Bluetooth beacon. But it will in some cases. And so we kind of get back to the question of, is some cases better than nothing? Or is mm. it giving a false positive? Uh, I don't know. This is where I also think Apple and Google will have a much better uh, chance of having that work well and reliably because they can control it at the operating system level. And I guess we've we've always known apps which have suddenly been pulled out of the App Store because suddenly Apple have said no, you can't uh, use this functionality in this way. Um, so that could is always a potential worry for for the well, NHS in this scenario. I would 
I would be very surprised if Apple does do that in this case. I think that Apple's not in the business of bad press, right? And I think that would garner them significantly bad press. Mm. Uh, but it, it is an interesting question. Um, you know, Apple has always ruled the App Store with a very strict set of, of requirements. Um, I can't imagine that the development team within the NHS are not in contact with Apple, though. I, I would imagine they are. Uh, yeah, I would guess so, yeah. Um, I guess um, another question, uh, which I think, Keith, you mentioned earlier, is do, do these contact tracing apps work? Do we have proof that they actually do work? And is, is there some, Are there some studies that prove... Uh, in in reality, they do actually perform what we want them to do. So, so from what I've read, uh, the exercise of contact tracing itself um, that is proven um, when when there's um, infectious diseases spreading, um, and I, I don't know the details of what technology has been used to do that, um, but I understand there have been apps used in various situations in the past that they can do it, whether whether it relies on Bluetooth or whether it's people self-reporting their location mm. or whatever it is i don't know the details of it but the, it. but the approach of contact tracing is 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 effective um i guess i guess the thing to note is that it's all about um breaking transmission chains yeah. uh, and automating the process of contact tracing so um mm. what, what it doesn't do is kind of give you um give you advice on where you should or shouldn't go it can only tell you what's happened in the past yeah so that, and, that's and, how and, that, the and that breaks the chain yeah it does and then you but then you then you've got a question well are we doing this soon enough because if we're starting from the isle of Wight, what a week ago and then we're going to gradually roll out across the country the app mm. and the the links and, and and the tracing is going to be playing catch up across all those chains of transmission that have already happened across the country so I mean, I'm guessing with the R at under one right now, um, potentially when we start to ease those restrictions, uh, the infection rate is going to go up because more people are interacting. And therefore, you need apps like this to kind of monitor those situations and try and notify those people who might be impacted. Um, I'm guessing that in it was it South Korea who've been particularly successful at managing this virus, they must have uh, some kind of uh, similar contact tracing app over there. Has any any of you heard of that? I haven't. No. I've, yeah. read, I've read a few cases of a few countries um, doing it. I know India's um, seen some relative success, but I've, um, I know I've been reading that, that they have mandatory download for government and private sector employees, and they've had a hundred million people install it so far. Uh, but it. it's, it's kind of enforced and there's some quite severe penalties if you don't do it. But again, from what I understand, they don't have particularly good history in terms of data protection and it asks you to input a lot more health data and you know it, it asks you questions about whether you're a smoker or not and this sort of thing and transmits that along with the data. So, yeah, it's a slightly different situation there. But I know some of the... I think you mentioned South Korea. From what I, again, I haven't read up on this, but what I understand, they have use technology to do this and it's been fairly successful but i don't know the details of the data behind it so it sounds like from what i know about south korea they seem to be sort of ring fenced in certain areas knowing when there's an outbreak and then tracing them manually uh mm. by finding out who those people were close to there was an outbreak i think it was a few days ago and i heard today i think they'd rounded up something like 38 people who have been impacted by that outbreak um so they're, they're clearly 
hot on this uh, in terms of a, a physical way. Yeah. Um, I, I guess. I guess. Okay. So. So maybe this thing works, and yes, there's some controversies around it, but uh, we can use this technology to help us. Um, but what I noticed today, on the, when I was watching BBC News today, they were in the Isle of Wight, and a reporter spoke to a couple of uh, ladies in the, in the street, and they spoke to both of them and said, have you got the app? The first one said, no, I'm really worried about my privacy and my data. And the second one uh, said, yeah, I'm, I, I want to know when I'm infected. So they're both worried about fear, but in different ways. Yeah. Uh, and I guess this is the big worry now is, can the government get trust in what they are providing to the public and get them to ultimately adopt it? Well, as of, as of I think, today um, in the Isle of Wight, the app has been downloaded by um, more than 72,000 people. Um, now, I think there's, a, there's around 140,000 uh, residents on the Isle of Wight, so it's well up above above sixty percent. So it does seem to show that enough people are going to download this app. Um, enough people are going to be be motivated by that. that. So I, I think I read that they the government needs um, something between fifty five to sixty percent of the population yeah. to be to be using it. So if, looking back, I did a quick look on the stats as well and. In 2019, 70% of adults in the UK had a smartphone. So, I don't know, I can't work out in my head, you know, if, if half of that 70% took it up, would that equate to just over half of the of the population or not? So if we see the same adoption across the UK as we've seen in the Isle of Wight, it would equate to roughly 80% of all smartphone users. Right. So, yeah, and I can't, I can't think of any other case where an app would have such mass adoption, um, especially mm. an app developed by the government or by by a public body. Um, we should point out at this point, though. I, I think, I mean, it's probably a question for you guys personally. I, I think the app is a good idea. I definitely think. It is a good use of technology to solve the problems. I know we're we're sort of talking around the potential flaws, but I don't want to be misconstrued as um, suggesting that the app is a bad idea and we shouldn't be doing it. Um, mm. But but what do you guys think? I I think it's it makes a lot of sense. Um, but I, I was trying to think what what would the alternative technologies be that we could use, and I don't think there are any realistic ones that would potentially give the speed that. This gives, and I've heard several times um, that when, when you're battling um, battling a pandemic, speed is one of the most important things. You, know, you don't have time to stop and necessarily think about things too much. You've got to act quickly. Um, and the, the kind of two points I want to raise here: one is I wonder whether just thinking back to what Graham was saying about looking for for occurrences in a in a slightly wider geographic area before then manually going and doing the contact tracing. I wonder whether there's a bit of a missed opportunity in using triangulation from um, cell phone masts. Mm. Um, so even if your if your if your phone is in contact with one cell phone mast, there's not that much you can do. But if you're within contact with just two cell phone masts, which is probably quite likely in populous areas, you can triangulate down to roughly a kilometre. Um, and then I, I just wonder why why the, I've not really heard anything from the mobile network operators. 
and what they well, should be doing on that basis. That's that's a really interesting point because the difference between the technology you're proposing compared to the technology of of, of the app, the Blue Tick Beacons, is that that triangulation gives you an actual physical location in the UK. Mm. So it's worth pointing out, even though this is a centralized system, no one will be able to see exactly where you are. Mm. There is no location that is sent with with your phone other than the first part of your postcode, which equates to a pretty wide area. Um, However, one of the other things I believe that was in the uh, leaked document that was on Google Drive was whether in the future they would ask for location information to be able to track not only that that outbreaks are occurring, but where are they occurring? So, you know, my take, why haven't they used triangulation? Because that would give you physical distance and it would probably be be torn to shreds by the press over kind of privacy concerns and, and mm. probably rightly so. But, you know, who, who knows what's in, in store for future versions of this app? Yeah, and the other thing that I've... I've been looking at when I'm comparing the, the, the way that the systems work in different countries. So Germany, um, this relates to alerts. So you know what happens when when someone is identified as uh, having um, potentially having the virus. So the German system will only send an alert out to um, contacts that you've you've matched with, you've come in contact with after you've had a positive test. Whereas in the UK, uh, and I'm on the, the, the website now. The notification is triggered um, when uh, you've got symptoms, um, and it uses the contact risk model that's, that I know we, we've heard about in the press. And again, so that that relies on self-diagnosis. So I can't help feeling that there's a there's probably some potential for a, a reasonable amount of false positives, but also people just putting you know entering symptoms in the app just for fun. And I and I think you know. Um... Uh, I think some people will have coughs anyway, just through yeah. you know hay fever and other other kind of ailments that happen generally, even when you're uh, self isolating. So you are going to get this false positive, and I, and I wonder whether the if you think about the infection rate, I think I, I heard the other day um, that for every death there are a thousand infections. Um, so if that's the case, and if you think about uh, one infection. Uh, if someone reports themselves as being uh, contracting COVID-19, how many other people are going to be impacted, especially if they are going to work on crowded tubes or on buses or they are working in factories with other people? You know, you can see how that uh, that sphere of uh, is going to ripple out to uh, lots of the population very quickly. Mm. Well, so this is this is a point that I I thought maybe I'm wrong. Um, I thought when this is rolled out nationally, um, they are looking to link the notifications to actual positive tests. So mm. you would re- report symptoms on the app, but but that in itself would not be enough to trigger a notification. Uh, they would right. then say, yep, okay, we'll send you a test kit uh, and that will then be sent to your house. You do the test, you send it back. And providing that is positive that would then trigger a notification to to people you've come in contact with which seems like a much more sensible way of doing it um, as well as a way of boosting the government's testing numbers which they're 
fairly keen to do at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, I mean, skeptical. I think at this stage it is. Um, so I can see on the BBC article, um, it, it it seems to be going on the lines of an alert is sent when someone's just been in contact with another person who's just reported symptoms. Mm. So I know that's how it works now. Yeah, for sure. I guess there's no. I, I don't. I can't see. Certainly, I can't see on the the website um, what what the roadmap is. You know, I, I kind of think this would be a really good case for you know doing what the likes of Monzo Bank and several other tech companies do, which is have a sort of very high level future roadmap published. Well, this this is the thing that really fascinates me. I would love to know what it feels like to be on this on the team developing this app. Yeah. It's by far the single biggest talked about app in in the world, or maybe not in the world. Other countries don't care. Why would they? In our country right now, and there are so many ethical and moral uh, implications of the decisions behind these features. I mm. just would love to be a fly on the wall in those planning sessions and, and, and you know, roadmap sessions. And I, and I think that is one of the most interesting things about this app is the staggering time that it's had to be developed in. I'm guessing it probably would have been started hmm, probably what start of March, maybe. They may, may have started getting the team in place and putting the contract out. Um, so they haven't really had an awful lot of time. And so I, I guess one of the things that I'm hoping um, is that uh, in the same way that we would – uh, write our user stories and react to user feedback uh, and act on the best uh, best interest of that user, we will get, accumulate information along this way. And, and all this uh, barrage of uh, concerns and worries from both journalists and the public hopefully will be uh, consumed into that development cycle and they will adapt very quickly. I do know that the, the trial in the Isle of Wight has been uh, delayed slightly. It's, it's gone on a little. It's been extended a little bit longer than they they planned for it. Um, so maybe they are taking into account a lot of the feedback they are getting uh, from numerous sources and trying to see how they can incorporate that into the development cycle. Yeah, I think I think I think that could be the case. And you know, I, I know we would have all worked on uh, what's known to us very well as MVPs. And you know, we can look at this as, as people working in the industry think actually that's probably a pretty good MVP they put out there. They're going to learn an awful lot very quickly. But I guess as Sam says, it comes down to a lot of ethical decisions as well. And is it right and ethical to trial a, a, an MVP with very basic service on real living human beings that you know are at risk of um, well this. Violence? This is it. I think a phrase that that I've certainly seen used flippantly in a lot of software development is, you know, this isn't this isn't life or death. Actually, it could be with mm -hmm. this app. It really could be. And so, you know, how do you define an MVP when potential lives are at stake? That's okay. really difficult. There's another podcast episode for you. <laughs> I'm not going to take part in that one. I have no idea how you would, you know, you would do that. There, there yeah. are some really big decisions going into this this app. Absolutely, and and I and I think yeah, Keith, you asked us um, how we thought about this app, and, and yeah, I think clearly unanimously we we all want this app to succeed, and we do see it as a a way to solve this problem. Um, 
And I hope that the ethical concerns and the, the worries about privacy, I hope they will be addressed over time. Uh, I think it's unrealistic to expect the government to respond in a way which will address all of those concerns in the timeline they've had. But I certainly think they should be addressing them over time. Yeah. Uh, and I, and I, my, it is my hope that they, they will do that. Well, I think, I think there's probably a, an interesting juxtaposition between the engineers who are actually writing the code on this app versus the people from 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 a government that, that are talking about it and i just this is this is i don't know this is maybe just me but when when they're standing up on the on the podium on the daily announcements talking about the app i i just imagine there's some engineer somewhere going no that's not how it works <laughs> just so, <laughs> you know how we all do when other people talk about and present the products that we create it's like yeah. oh that's not quite right you've just said something there i just think that that would also i would love to to know how that those engineers are feeling i think it's really yeah. that's really interesting and i think going back to what i said right at the start and this is where a product owner or a product manager has a bit of a role to play it, it's almost it's bridging the gap between it's certainly in a business context is bridging the gap between a senior management team and uh, who, who want to have something done and um, the team of people, highly skilled people that are actually building it and, and trying to bring those two worlds together in a way that everyone understands. Um, and yeah, I think you're right. You've got to question how it's being presented at the daily stand-ups. Um, it is, I think it's being described in quite a, a lightweight way. It's, it's an app for tracking. Um, did you did you just refer to the government announcement as stand-ups? I because that's, really, <laughs> that's really interesting. Is it? I I would actually be much more interested in in the the real daily stand-ups being broadcast. That would be that great. Would be brilliant. That would be brilliant. <laughs> that would be very interesting. But you know, one one, one of the um, one of the frustrations I've seen it across various subjects in the way they, that the government have handled the whole pandemic is there isn't enough of a level of detail being given out um they are very very unsurprisingly there are very very political answers being given to a lot of the questions um and you kind of question whether that is right at this time or not or whether there needs to be sort of a slightly more open and deeper level of communication um cross-party and that you know the app comes within that i think it's and this is why i think the risk is that there could be for those of us out there that aren't really into technology it could could be perceived as a way to protect yourself from getting the virus when it's not mm. well well look, i mean the for all the kind of questions we've thrown in uh, you know we should really commend the engineering team who are working on this because yeah. as far as i can tell they're doing everything right most of what we're talking about is 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 let's face it decisions that have probably been made on their behalf i.e yeah. whether or not to use the apple or google api and i think the things they are doing to al alleviate concerns you know they've open sourced the code base mm. uh, that means hundreds of thousands of developers in the country or millions worldwide can download this source code build the app themselves and and you know everyone can suggest and submit changes to it to improve it yeah. which is just that is the way to build secure software if you really really yeah. want to so you know good on them for doing that i think that that's spot on 
But if, if um, as Graves said earlier, if the, those two individuals that were interviewed on the streets of the Isle of Wight were told that, and particularly the one who said they had a privacy concern, that I would probably bid money on that, meaning literally nothing to them. Oh, 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 absolutely. And, yeah. and I think that's what I'm getting at, is it, there just needs to be a little bit of a deeper and slightly clearer explanation of, of what's going on, why it's being done, and, and why, it's the, why it's the right or wrong thing. Which, which I think has been done by the government. The trouble is it's been kind of dampened by lots of other uh, well-known figures in, the, in, the, in, the, in this realm who know their stuff uh, in terms of the legal aspects and, and also the privacy uh, laws. So I think, the, I think the, the government do need to come back again. They need to mm. look at what everyone is saying and they need to address some of these concerns. Um, I, guess, I guess one of the things I, I wanted to put out to you guys is... Um, What's your thought on, in terms of a percentage chance of it happening, wh- how how much do you think it will happen that uh, we will move to the decentralised model? I think you've got to. Um, I, I think one of the one of the big um, blockers for the route we're going down at the moment is when international travel opens up. So, uh, and you know, we, we could, you can take an even an example even closer to home. So, Northern Ireland, for example. What happens when you live quite close to the border and then you're able to start traveling again and uh, mm. mixed with other people from Southern Ireland and there's no way of using that app with them. I would imagine yeah, that it's... the Google and Apple solution would go a long way to alleviate that. So you could, you could then get on your train to France or you could fly to Germany for business in a few months' time and it, the same app would still be able to work if we went down that decentralized route. Well, well yeah, so that there is no app. There is no app, to be clear. You, d- you don't necessarily need an app with that to work. Mm. And, I mean, you need an app to opt in because it's going to be an opt-in thing. Um, but the Apple and Google model very much is designed to be worldwide. Um, yeah. 100%. So, so does that mean, for instance, that we could download the app for Germany and we could use that instead? Well, I expect apps will be restricted Um you can restrict apps to different geographies. So I imagine each country will restrict their app to their own geography. Um, or their, their own app store, maybe, I guess. Yeah. The app store is regional, isn't it? Yeah. And I, and I, so, okay. So, so we talked about the kind of the decentralized model and I, and, and I guess you're thinking they will move, Sam, is that right? You're thinking the same way. Uh, I think, well, it, it's difficult. I think, probably the government will need to find a way of doing it with without losing face. Um, mm. And I don't really want to comment on that, but I think from a technical point of view, I would imagine probably the engineering team are shouting really loudly, guys, this, you know, this is the way to go. Use this API. Mm. This solves all of our kind of underlying technical issues. You should use this. And I think it's difficult because it's probably depends on how much pressure the government gets from, you know, the public or journalists and the media. Um, I would like to say that they'll move to a, a decentralized model. Um, they, they do seem to be warming to it in the press. Some of the announcements I've been seeing is that they will look at lots of different technical solutions uh, during, uh, during this product development cycle. So that does allude to the thought that they may go in a different direction. I would like to think that they're, they're following a very analytical approach here, which is, uh, you know, divide and conquer. Um, 
try as many approaches as you can and use the one that works the best. I, I there's just too much at stake here to not do that. So I guess the the one question I'm not going to ask you guys, and I definitely don't want you to ask this because I think it would be slightly irresponsible of us, is to ask you whether you will use the app. And I, I certainly have my strong feelings one way, but I think those could change quite easily. Um, uh, how how are you feeling about uh, about using the app? So are you asking us or are you not asking us? Because it well, sounds like you're asking us. I guess I guess are you are you, are you do you still hold some concerns whether or not you will use the app? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna use the app. I yes, whatever form it takes. I you know I don't generally buy into conspiracy theories about um, you know intentions of of other use for this data. Um, I, I I think the the need at the moment to save human life by potentially installing an app outweighs those concerns. I think it's right that those concerns are challenged and thought about and. Probably a good point here is it's not just um, it's not just the government using this data in a in a malicious way. Uh, people are also very worried about you know bad actors, so people compromising the system, hackers, if you like, mm. um, and, and gaining access to this data. Um, but but look, at, as it stands, personally, the benefits to to us as a society far outweigh um, any potential negatives for now. Um, that might change if the app starts. Um, if the app starts requesting location data or more personal information, then that's a big no-no um, for me and probably a lot of people. But as it stands at the moment, I'm I'd be happy to use it. I'd be even happier if it was using the uh, APIs provided by Apple and Google. Yeah. So I'm with Sam on it. In fact, I I've already been using an app to help. Um, help a study that King's College London and NHS Wales are doing, where I almost probably since around about the beginning of April, sort of mid-April probably, I've been reporting how I feel each day and whether I've got any symptoms or not. Um, and at the moment, I think it's about three and a half million people contributing to that. So what's that about? Was that 5% of the population? So um, whether that research helps with the government project or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I, I've been doing that anyway because I, I feel like technology has got a big part to play in, in helping. And I think on the same, I think I, I would use the app to start with and I'd keep a close eye on it as to what the future developments are, as to whether I carry on. Is that the um, the Zoe app, the COVID-19 right. Zoe? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did hear something about that last week. They were saying they, they think there's some research going on that they think there's a link between levels of estrogen and uh, contracting COVID-19. I'm not quite sure of the, the, the details of this. So they started asking questions in that app about that. And I don't quite know how they how they were phrased or which audience they were directed to. Mm. Um, but I'm guessing uh, these are, these, in some ways, that's, that's kind of personal data, right? It, yeah. it must be personal data. Um, and you could see how these apps could progressively ask you for more, to disclose more, personal information over time and of course you know you want to do your civic duty you want to do the right thing to help and support everyone else in your community uh, but there may be a point where people say no i don't want to give that mm, i mean that i think a point that's often missed there are valid reasons to give personal data to apps like this and from a technology point of view there are secure ways to do this, to process this, to hold this, to store this. I think 
a lot of fear comes from a the fact that it's a kind of centralized government and you know what what could they possibly tie together by all the different sources of information they have but but b we've seen a lot of examples of where this data has not been stored properly by companies and has not been processed properly and you know hackers have got in and and taken the data and then that makes big news stories so it's worth in the interest of presenting a kind of fair picture you know there are valid reasons to to give personal data to things but that has to be a decision that each and every person who wants to use it is comfortable uh in doing you know agreed and i guess uh, the biggest crisis right now in the uk is probably the care homes if you have people working in care homes or contractors doing cleaning or uh, Mm. making food you can see how that would be a very credible um, use of information because uh, you are effectively pre- protecting huge numbers of people. Well, and, and yeah, and I think one one thing which we haven't yet seen that we may do when it rolls out nationally is um, employers of certain people requiring them to have that app or some sort of app. Um, and for me, that's, that's a line where it gets very, very... Um, difficult to um, justify that you know the morality and the ethics behind that decision it's it's not necessarily wrong but you know can an employer require you to do that and give your information to a third party probably there, not there, there was some talk um, i can't remember whether it was specifically one country but there was talk about a corona passport that you've you can say that you've had it i guess the the, the the, the biggest thing that's changed since then is that we've seen reinfections. So if you're seeing reinfections, maybe having Corona isn't such a, um, it's such a great thing anymore um, that you can, you could possibly be reinfected. I mean, I mean um, having, it's never been a great thing, Graham. Let's be honest <laughs> with that. <laughs> that's, that's very true. Yeah. It's like slip of the tongue there. <laughs> uh, but no, I know I, there, there's, well, this is where we enter territory. I'm, I'm deeply unqualified to talk about the the entire medical side, um, mm. but you know, to a degree, all we can really do is comment on what we're we're hearing or reading about in the media. But but yes, there is that question about uh, whether reinfections are possible, and and thus how long um, something like a COVID passport app would be useful for. Um, I guess we'll see. Awesome. Shall we wrap it up, guys? Well, I think we've probably rambled on long enough. I mean, if anyone's still here, then, you know, maybe there should be a prize or something. I've still know. got beer left. Oh, I... <laughs> well, no, I finished my beer a while ago, and you're obviously not paying attention to the recording software, because I did ping you about 20 minutes ago to say, can we have a break? Because uh, I, I could have gone and got another beer, but well, never oh, mind. I think Matt wants a lead lead break or something. Well, that too, yeah, but (laughs) never mind. No, yeah, we should probably, I don't know. Who's in charge of the edit? Next time we'll have that chat in a different tab that I permanently on my screen because I've been (laughs) looking at everything else but that. There is this thing at the moment about this communal listening, isn't there? You go and listen to your favourite album together at the same time. You sync it up and you talk about the artist. Oh, and the music awful. at the same time. It does. But I guess you could do the same thing with beer, right? Yeah. A communal drink. A communal drink. Yeah, we all have the same beer. 
Uh, that'd be you quite know, that's, to actually, that's a really good idea. Um, and we should we should have some sort of physical place that you can go to all drink beer together. <laughs> oh, why? No. We could call it like maybe a public room or or a, if a public house or something. Maybe pub for short. Yeah, we could do that. Great idea. <laughs> I think it needs refining, though, because after all, you, you are just a developer. So, you know, I think we'll need to do a bit of research on that, whether it'll actually work or not. Well, that's a good point. I think one of the things that we haven't haven't seen enough of in this podcast, and to be fair, we were addressing a, a, an important subject, um, but I think there's room for more uh, product design developer banter um there is and i think um it's good that this was always going to be a hard subject for an appraisal of design because unless unless graham you live on the isle of Wight, it's probably going to be quite hard for you to actually experience the app well i mean i i guess um it's not really about me it's about those users and i i guess seeing those uh users or potential users of the app on the isle of Wight today uh, made me realise that the reaction is fear on both sides, mm. uh, which is is not a not a great starting point to start with when you want to c- create adoption. But clearly, if the adoption figures are looking good, then maybe, maybe it's, it's the best it's point. Best to worry about. Yeah, maybe, maybe all future marketing campaigns should be predicated on fear. <laughs> <laughs> Many of them are, I think. And this is this is why I'm I'm just 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 in development. <laughs> right okay so we so we wrap up again guys yeah um I why can not hear my kids screaming in the background yeah so can we so slightly slightly off putting you can hear them can you yeah oh yeah and probably all of our all of the ladies and gentlemen listening can probably hear them as well <laughs> i shall do some very good editing <laughs> <laughs> excellent uh cool well it's been uh a lot of fun. It has. Cool. So until next time, uh, we will reconvene and we'll have another topic that we will talk about, hopefully also uh, with a beer. Uh, but it's been great fun, guys. You're very good. Indeed. I, I, think uh, need, I think we need to have more arguments next time and not agree so much on everything. Well, uh, let's, pick <laughs> a, let's pick a less serious topic. Yeah. Um, and and we, can, we can do it justice with arguing. Arguing and beer. We, Great combination. <laughs> what could what could go wrong? <laughs> so if you have some ideas on what you think we should be talking about next time we run this podcast, do put them in the comments. Let us know what you would like us to to dissect and uh, and talk over in uh, some uh, some detail. Um, well, to argue about, really. Let us know what you want us to argue about. Yes, yes. Try find something provocative, something that we can talk about. But hopefully not beer, because I'm sure we'll mostly agree on beer. I think I'd like to throw one into the ring just while we're here. Um, should designers code? That's a good one. Uh, we should oh. cover that at some point. Oh yeah, don't get me started. That's a good one. <laughs> but, <laughs> we yeah, could but follow I'm it up with very should, should developers design. <laughs> there you go too right right out of oh yeah i'll better shut up because i'm gonna i'll start doing it now if i'm not careful there's a lot of a lot of thinking about that yeah. <laughs> i i think i think jobs are big be- certainly when you're in the agile realm you are jobs are becoming interchangeable it, it just happens naturally um 
So uh, yeah, let's not yes. let's not use all our material. Let's save it for <laughs> another do, bit. Let's do that. Let's do that. Yeah. Cool. cool. All right, guys. I well, will catch you later. Thanks for listening. Thank you.